You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Guys, good morning. Like Oliver said, I'm a middle school teacher, so I actually got a whiteboard up here that makes me feel more comfortable. Uh, I won't actually write anything on it, it just makes me feel at home. Uh, just kidding. Um, yeah, it's uh, an honor to be up here. I definitely appreciate um, just the heart that the church here has to hear from people like Raph just shared. And every week we do a mission spotlight like that. And it's certainly on topic for what I'm talking about today. As the body of Christ, each of us has a mission. And where we are called, where we live, where we work, where we play, we're all fulfilling the Great Commission, where we live and work and play. So really cool. Thank you, Raph. Thanks for sharing. And uh, really for each of our Reach for our missionary spotlights is really cool. But uh, I am I'm a leaf blower. I'm a leaf blower. My uh, my wife Angelica and I, we have a picture up here, I believe. My wife Angelica and I celebrated our sixth wedding anniversary. Uh, thank you. Yep. Uh, we bought this little house, moved in six years ago. And as you can see, little house, no grass. We have grass now. Don't worry. But a lot of trees. I actually have another picture as well. A whole bunch of trees. That's our backyard. Um, thankfully, we've cut down a few of these trees. But every October and November, I spend a lot of time blowing leaves. And I agreed to preach before I realized what the season was. So throughout my sermon prep, I've been doing a lot of leaf blowing at the same time. So if I have a lot of leaf blowing analogies in my sermon, that's why. Uh, the first one that I want to talk about is when you blow your yard, if you haven't blown your leaves yet, you've got to start with the plan in mind. Don't just go out there willy-nilly blowing leaves around. You've got to start with the plan, know where you're going, all that kind of stuff. So I've approached the passage the same way. There's 52 verses in Acts 13. Um, I'm going to have to pick and choose. I'm going to go through the passage, and I will be forced to leaf some out. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like Oliver always has a couple of dad jokes in there, so I wanted to, wanted to keep up. <laughs> um, let me pray for us. I really appreciate um, the people who've come out here to watch, but I really feel supported in prayer. We um, are in small group with the Stewarts and just have felt very supported in prayer and even walking in this morning. Uh, Mackenzie PV, who's actually watching my son right now, immediately was like, you look like you're going to throw up. Let me pray for you. So really, really appreciate the prayer. And my prayer for us, is that even though this is a big chapter, I want to speak what the Lord has for us. And a big chapter, a lot of stuff to say, but I want the Lord to speak to to me and to all of us right now through his word. So if you would please pray with me and for me. (laughs) Uh, Lord God, we do, we praise you this morning. We, uh, like we were singing, Lord, we recognize that there is no other name that deserves praise, that deserves honor, so, Lord, we, we join um, in your praise. We um, dedicate this time to you, and we ask that you would speak to us, or that you would make your word come alive. And, yeah, Lord, we pray that you would help us to obey what you, what you tell us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Acts 13 describes to us the sending of Paul and Barnabas on mission, uh, the people they encounter the gospel that they preach, and then the reception 
which ends up being a transition from the Jews in Jerusalem, as Oliver's been walking us through, ultimately to the ends of the earth. And we see that transition today from the Jews to the Gentiles. So really an incredible shift in the ministry of the early church and great news if, like me, you're a Gentile, uh, as most of us are here, I would assume. And uh, it's pretty crazy to think about if you recognize just how unbelievable it is 2,000 years later on the other side of the world in a different language, we are gathered here on a Sunday, and we do this on a weekly basis, talking about a Jewish guy who spoke a different language, lived across the world, didn't have the internet, didn't have radio or anything like that to get his message across. We are still talking about him on a weekly, hopefully a daily basis. And it's Apart from the supernatural work of God, impossible to explain. We're still talking about Jesus. But there are some practical steps that we can follow as we take part in the mission, the Great Commission. There's some things that we can do from this chapter that can help us take part in our calling. So we're going to follow Jesus and the guide here that he lays out for us. And hopefully, we're going to have some practical takeaways. I'm going to write some stuff on the whiteboard and hopefully... Uh, you guys can have some stuff that you actually can take away from this and use on a daily basis. So that's kind of the lens I want us to have for the chapter. What do we do as Jesus' followers on a daily basis to bring about the Great Commission and see the gospel go to the ends of the earth? Verses 1 through 4 is my first section here, commission identity. This is verse 1 through 4. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. This first section of the passage shows us the importance of community in living obediently to Christ. So Paul and Barnabas are called by the Spirit and sent out by the community of believers in which they're functioning. They're together worshiping and fasting, and the Spirit speaks to them and says something their community, the believers who are with them, can confirm and support along the way. And we're, we're all called to live in community like this, and we're all called to be both sent, we're called to go out, we're also called to be the ones who send. So it's two parts to our identity there, and then fulfilling the Great Commission. I have some intentional questions, hopefully up here on the board, nice. Usually Oliver does some intentional questions at the end of the sermon. I'm going to kind of get these out in the front and kind of guide some of our discussion. But um, Who are you supporting in mission? Who do you pray for and with on a regular basis? Who do you check in with? And that's you checking in on them and them checking in on you, which can be uncomfortable. How are you living since the Spirit sends us, but also sending, taking part in the active community of believers that sends people forth? Sent is not a location. It's an identity. It's who we are. You could be on a journey 
to the end of your driveway to get the mail, or you could be on a journey to the ends of the earth, like Paul is in this passage. We're all on a missionary journey, whatever the geographic location may be. Whether it's to Vietnam, like we have some people going to Vietnam here pretty shortly, or to work every morning, we're all on a trip somewhere where the Lord has called us. Sent is living obediently to the call that the Spirit has placed on our lives. Paul describes this calling, this identity, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So that's our identity. We're called. We're sent. The next section we see in the passage here, 5 through 12, is people of peace and opposition. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Uh, when I first read this passage, I was a little bit confused because everybody seems to have an alias in the passage, but essentially there's the proconsul who's the governor of the area, there's a magician who's kind of his um, support guy who's leading him astray, and then Paul and Barnabas are summoned by the proconsul because the Lord is already at work in his heart. He wants to know the truth. He's seeking to know eternal truth. The proconsul is a person of peace. The Lord's already at work in him. However, he's being discipled and led astray by a false teacher. Elemis, the magician, is representative of the devil, who is spiritual opposition in our world. So many people here and now that we talk to are seeking truth. They may not come up to you and say, hey, can you tell me about Jesus? But they're seeking something to hold on to that they can base their life on. They're also being taught and trained by somebody or something. Whether it's Oprah Winfrey or TikTok, we listen to somebody or something every day that's telling us how to live and who we are and what we need to be doing. And we, as Christians, are called to speak the truth, but we're called to take part in this battle with a spiritual focus and a spiritual lens. The opposition to the gospel can be, like the sorcerer here in the passage, very clearly spiritual. Paul is battling a sorcerer. That does not happen to me very often. 
Actually, never. That's never happened to me. <laughs> More often than not, here in Greenville, South Carolina, we're battling, later on in the passage, Paul and Barnabas are actually thrown out of town by the church. The legalistic religious Jews drive Paul and Barnabas from the church, from the city, I'm sorry. So whether it's spirituality, whether you're facing off with a wizard, or you are being judged and reviled by the church, the legalistic believers, they're both spiritual oppositions, and they can present themselves in different ways physically, they can look differently, but ultimately our battle is not against flesh and blood. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. If you work in kids' ministry, there's a song that's going to pop into your head right now. (laughs) Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul is a faithful witness. He's obedient to the calling and expectant that the Spirit is at work. He partners with God in his ministry. We're called to do the same thing. Our mission is submission. Obedience is success. We will not always see someone repent and believe every time we share the gospel. Every time you pray for someone, someone may not be healed. Our mission is not based on the results that you immediately see. Our mission is submission, and obedience to the calling is success. To get back to leaf blowing, um, so whenever we first moved into our house, I realized that somebody has to take care of this place. I just had a rake, a lot of leaves. So I went out and bought the best leaf blower money could buy. Still have it. Uh, it's actually my son Jude's inheritance. It's the most expensive thing I bought when we first got married. And it's a great leaf blower, and I can be out there. And I feel like a wizard when I use it, because leaves are just flying everywhere. Until the wind starts blowing. And if my plan, like I talked about earlier, is to blow the leaves this way, and I'm blowing them that way, and the wind kicks up, and it's going that way, I very quickly need to change my plan. Because no matter how great my leaf blower is, or how great your leaf blower is, I can't defeat the wind. The wind is the ultimate leaf blower. And our, our mission is the same way. Whether you are really, really talented, or charismatic, or funny, or you know the Bible really, really well, you will not save people. You will not open eyes. You will not perform miracles. You, we can't do that. The Lord does that. The most important thing that we can do is to walk and step with the Spirit. And it's ironic, maybe, in this passage, that just like Paul, Elymas, the magician, is struck blind. That happened to Paul a couple chapters back. Paul meets the Lord on the road to Damascus, and the Lord strikes him blind. And later, he's healed by Ananias. Oliver walks through that. The Lord gives him his sight back, restores to him sight. But not only is he restored to physical sight, but he's given spiritual sight as well. He's saved. He meets the Lord. And like Paul, when we come to faith, when Jesus saves us, we're given new sight to not only see our sin, see our need for a Savior, but also to see where the Lord is at work and where we partner with the Spirit as we fulfill the Great Commission.
one of the things that we need to look for is the people of peace that God has placed in our lives. And I want you to think for a minute. We're going to circle back to this. We're going to three circles back to this. You'll understand that in a little bit. Think of a person of peace. So someone who you are close with. Thanksgiving is coming up. All the pie we're going to eat. Think about family members you're going to see, someone, a friend or a neighbor who you are close with, but they are far from God. So they don't know God, but they know you. You know them. Think about that person. Think about their name, face. Keep them in mind. We'll come back to it. Verses 13 through 41 describe a message that Paul preaches. So Paul is going about every which way, and he shares a consistent message, the gospel. I'm going to read verses 14 through 16, just so we can all get to dinner. Uh, On the Sabbath, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel... And you who fear God, listen. Paul then goes on for 24 verses explaining the gospel to them. And he explains using what they just read, the law and the prophets. So he knows that he needs to preach the gospel with his audience in mind. He preaches from a place that is relevant and meaningful to them. So these were Jews. They were in the synagogue. They were learned. They just read from the law, which is what we have in the beginning of the Old Testament. And he knew that his hearers agreed with him up to a certain point about who God was. So he knew their knowledge, their prior knowledge. Their need was to understand the recent events of Jesus. And I think that that's two takeaways that we can learn as we think about sharing the gospel. Paul builds on his audience's knowledge and their need. We do the same thing as we share the gospel. We share based on knowledge and need. Uh, I am a teacher, second-year teacher, so I'm not super good yet. But I'm better than last year in a lot of ways. So many ways. You can ask my students. Uh, So I've gotten better in a lot of ways. And one way I think I've gotten worse is that I (laughs) assume my students remember what I taught them which is harder than you think. So uh, a lot of the students I had last year, they're back this year. I teach Spanish, beginner Spanish, Spanish 1 and Spanish 2. So my Spanish 2 students, I taught for an entire year last year. And they walk in, and I'm like, buenos dias, como estas? And they're like, are you serious right now, bro? (laughs) Uh, That's from the internet, apparently. It's uh, something on TikTok or something. I hear that like 10 times a day. They have no idea what I'm talking about after I've taught them for a year. So before we can move on and teach them about verbs and grammar and actually speaking some of the language, we have to reckon with the fact that I apparently did not teach them anything last year. And we got to start back at the beginning. Like, hola, hello. So we do the same thing as we share the gospel. We all come to the table with a very preconceived or set up way that we think about God, or we think about sin, or we think about humanity. We all have a pretty clear understanding of those things. For the most part, we think we know a lot of stuff. And especially in a culture like Greenville, 
or anywhere else where Christianity has been a major influence on society for so long, when you talk about God or you talk about church, people will automatically write you off because they think they know what you're talking about, or you think they know what you're talking about. So to share the gospel, it's helpful to know where people stand, what they know, their knowledge, and their need. And a lot of times we have to explain the need to people. People don't know a lot of times that they're sinful. Um, There's a tool that I found helpful to share the gospel. And it's actually a picture. And I'm going to walk through it. There's the picture. Um, It's called the three circles, which is why I said, well, three circle back to your person of peace. Think about your person of peace, who you were talking about earlier. This is something you can draw out right on a napkin. Uh, There's YouTube videos. You can write it on um, whatever you have with you. Um, Oliver actually has this tattooed on his chest. He just takes his shirt off (laughs) whenever he's sharing with people and works like a charm. Uh, I'm going to do, instead of explaining to you how to share this, I'm going to pretend like I'm at Thanksgiving dinner. You guys are, if this falls... I won't be surprised. Uh, I'm going to pretend like we are at Thanksgiving dinner. The holidays are coming up. We're going to be with our in-laws, our uh, regular family members, extended family members. And I want to give you guys a little tool. So I'm going to pretend like I'm at Thanksgiving dinner, seated next to old Uncle Jimmy. I don't have an Uncle Jimmy there's an Uncle Jimmy out there, I'm sorry. So Uncle Jimmy, as he often does, likes to complain about all kinds of stuff. And he's seated next to me, and I think to myself, God, why am I facing this spiritual opposition right now? Don't worry about blindness, just strike him dumb so I can eat in peace. But then I think to myself, no, that's not right. Maybe this is an opportunity. Maybe this is a person of peace that God has placed next to me. And though it's uncomfortable, and though he's annoying, maybe, we wouldn't say Uncle Jimmy is seated next to me for a long meal. And he's complaining about something. I'm like, you know what, Uncle Jimmy? You're right. Our country is headed to hell in a handbasket. But I don't necessarily agree with you that it's just those dang Democrats. There's something deeper going on here. And it's not just our country, it's the world. The, um, the world that we see, it's impossible not to notice, like you've been telling me for so long. It's on TV, it's on the news, it's on your Facebook feed. The world that we live in is a really broken place. Let me, let me borrow your napkin. I'm going to write this on there. The world's really a broken place. This is the world that represents the world right here. It's broken. We see that. It's very easy. No one's going to argue with you that the world's perfect. The world is broken, but in my opinion, and from what we see in Scripture, the issue is not those people over there or this system that's set up. The issue is sin. And originally, God created the world, and it was good. God created us to live in harmony with him and with each other. And what happened was humans sinned. We rebelled. We ran from God's law. And things that were supposed to be good, that were for our good, now turn out to be broken and bad and evil and sinful. 
and we see the results of our choice demonstrated in the broken world in which we now live. There's a lot of things we try, whether it's our political voting patterns or uh, maybe volunteering, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's uh, going to the gym or alcohol or drugs or whatever it is. We try a whole bunch of things to escape brokenness. We're trying to get out of this in so many different ways. Your choice. We do this in a lot of different ways. But what ultimately happens is that it doesn't save us. We always end up just coming right back in to brokenness. We can't escape on our own. Something has to save us from the brokenness that we see around us, from the brokenness that we see in ourselves. What we see in Scripture is that Jesus, 2,000 years ago, came to earth as a man. He lived a perfect life. So God had an expectation that none of us can live up to. Jesus lived that life. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He was crucified to pay for sin. He suffered the punishment that we deserve. And he rose to life again three days later and sits in heaven with all authority and everything is subject to him and will be completely subject to him in the future. And to be healed from your brokenness that you have on the inside, you need to repent of your sin and believe in Jesus as your Lord. That saves you from your brokenness that you have in your heart. It saves me from my brokenness that I have in my heart. That does not mean that every single thing you see around you is going to be perfect. That you're going to be healthy and happy and rich and all the things that we see around us. Those are still broken things. But when placing our faith in Jesus, we join him on mission to bring the kingdom of God, the design, God's design, to us, to our lives, around us, in little ways, in big ways, as we're gifted and called. So we work towards the kingdom of God where all things are right. We're trying to fight the kingdom of brokenness here. And Uncle Jimmy, if you had to say, where would you say you are right now? Do you feel like you're more over here in the brokenness side of things? Or do you feel hope and joy and peace and love in your heart? Then you'd have a conversation with him. So Uncle Jimmy, hopefully, you can start a conversation with him that doesn't involve politics and the latest family gossip and all that kind of stuff. Because as we, especially thinking about spending some time with folks, family, friends, over the holidays, it's helpful to have a tool like this. And you do not have to use this tool at all. Find a great tool. Um, I tell people this when they ask me about working out. They're like, what's the best? People don't actually ask me that, but... When we're we're talking about working out, the best workout plan is the one that you will actually do. So whether if you you do CrossFit or running or swimming or, um, I don't know, all the other workout stuff, the best one is the one that you'll actually do. Same thing with a tool like this. The very best one in the whole world is going to be the one that you actually use. So whatever one you're comfortable with and want to practice and get some reps on and share it with somebody, that's the one that's going to be the best. Uh, there are actually some people here that are a lot better at this than me. My wife is one. Angelica's really good at this. She's a better teacher than I am, and she's really good at this. So if you have questions or want to learn more, she can definitely walk you through this. I can try as well, but she's really good at it. 
the gospel, our message that Paul is preaching here, is the answer to the questions. Especially as we think about arguments. I'm not gearing you guys up with a bunch of ammo to take home to your relatives. We're trying to get to the heart of the issue. And the gospel that Paul is sharing is the answer to these questions. And I think as we get into these conversations with whether it's a sorcerer or the religious legalist of the day, you're, people try and get sidetracked. They try and get off topic. When you talk about Jesus or you talk about the gospel, they, wanna, they want you to answer tough questions. They're tough questions. We will eventually need to answer those. The Bible takes a stand on all these things. But if someone will not talk about Jesus, it's going to be very hard to change their mind. You're not going to argue somebody into a lot of stuff. It's very difficult just to square off with somebody and argue them into your point. You have to trust Jesus, trust the gospel. Don't get lost in the weeds that's divisive or exclusive. The gospel is our position that we defend. Ultimately, we defend the gospel. That's our position. It's our purpose. We're gospel people. And it's our power. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's the gospel. That's what Paul was out there sharing. Uh, my final section here is the reception which is verses 42 through 52. I'm going to start in 44. Don't worry about that crying baby. It makes me feel right at home. Uh, The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I love... um, the, the reception here that the Gentiles have. They hear that good news has come to them, and they rejoice and glorify the Lord. And even when they're driven from the city, that was not a nice, nice drive. They were driven from the city. They are filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And this shift that we see in the good news, the focus of the early church, the focus of the mission was Jerusalem, was the Jews, it now shifting to the Gentiles. From Jerusalem on to the ends of the earth. And we don't think about this as that crazy now. Like I said, we're all Gentiles here for the most part. Um, and we're worshiping Jesus. And we do this a lot and has been happening for 2,000 years now. But this is crazy in this moment. And the, the course of human history is altered. 
The outsiders are brought in. The far off are brought near. The unclean are made clean. A light shines in the darkness. The words of life are preached to the losers, the second placers, the not good enough, the poor, the dirty, the disenfranchised. They're given hope. I think we skim over this too lightly. But to think about this and to remember that we were once far off. We were unclean. We were not chosen. We were sinful. We were unsaved. And that Jesus changed that. And from, from the outside, to look in and see things going well. I think about like the holidays, the classic uh, movie that I can't think of the title, wiping the frost off the window and looking in and seeing everybody sitting around the fire and it's a beautiful scene and they're all like that. Think about the Gentiles like that. Outside, in the cold, we were like that until Jesus made a way for us to be saved and brought us near. And in this passage that I just read, Paul is quoting Isaiah 49.6, which says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. At the very beginning, when God chose Abraham, God promised him that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars, and that he would be a blessing to the nations, plural. The gospel to the ends of the earth is not God being like, okay, Jews, fine, I'll try somebody else. God planned this from the beginning. God is too great, like we were singing about, too worthy of praise to only be worshipped by one nation or one type of people. Does the creator of all things not deserve their praise? God deserves and desires worshipers from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group. And he's working towards that, and we work alongside him in making that happen. The message of the gospel is that Jesus makes this possible. The gospel changes everything, including us. It sends us on mission. We see in this chapter and throughout the book of Acts how the hearers who see the gospel, hear the gospel, Become the sharers, the doers, the goers, the sent ones. When you are truly changed by the gospel, you can't keep it to yourself. It's not something you take home and put on the shelf and are happy you won that trophy. You do something about it. We're no longer our own. We were bought with a price. Our lives are bought, just like I wrote up here, are bought by Christ's death and resurrection. We're good news people. That's our identity. We're gospel people, and we go forth. In closing, Taylor. In closing, uh, verses 48 and 49, I want this to be like our theme. This is such a cool reception. If you read this, I'm going to read it again. When the Gentiles heard this, the message of the gospel that was for them now. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. They had hope. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. That passage makes me think of Psalm 51. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. 
Uphold me with the willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. I think a lot of times when people talk about evangelism or sharing the gospel, it's like you just automatically feel guilty, and you're like, that's for next-level Christians or super-Christians or somebody who has some training. That's not true. Just like the woman at the well, the blind man, they had a very simple message. Come and see. Or I was blind, now I see. And I think he can do the same for you. And my message, I do not want you to feel guilty. I want you to feel empowered and supported with some tools. More importantly, called, knowing that the one who called you will equip you and send you, not out to drum up business for him. He goes before you and creates the longing, the desire in people to know him, to know their creator, to know the one who desires relationship with them, maybe doesn't know who that is or how they do that. So we are not called to make this happen. We're called to share how Jesus already made this happen and made it possible. So especially as we think about Thanksgiving and talking with those people, think about your person of peace. Think about the hope of the gospel and the joy that you have in sharing. You'd be encouraged with that. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc. 